die for us, but also to live for us. And in his life for us, he wept over Jerusalem, for they were like sheep without shepherds. And then he appointed twelve, and he founded his church upon them. We ask you to bless and protect our time tonight so that we may discover the great gift that you are to us through your church. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Okay, so I was asked, today is December 8th. It is the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. And the Immaculate Conception, for those um, who may have never heard that word, it doesn't mean receiving a football at the end of the game. <laughs> that's, the that's the Immaculate Reception, exactly. <laughs> but so. very similar. <laughs> now, the Immaculate uh, Conception was defined in 1854 by Pope Pius IX, but the church had always believed it. If you read some of the church fathers, um, and it basically says that from the moment of Mary's conception, she was freed from original sin and any stain of sin. And so then it begs the question, well, if Mary is sinless, does uh, she need a Savior? What do you think? Were there, were there other people that were immaculately, that, or didn't have original sin, I should say? Okay, Jesus, yep. Adam and Eve. And so the church fathers call her the new Eve, okay? So getting back to the original question, did she need a savior? Anyone here like to swim? So it's like kind of an analogy. Um, if, you're, if you're drowning in the, in the deep end, you need a savior. You need the lifeguard to jump in and pull you out and save you and maybe give you a CPR or whatever. And that's what Jesus did for you and I because by our sins or the sins of humanity, we are drowning. And so Jesus had to jump into our humanity to save us. But you could also save someone, like if you're a lifeguard and you see a kid running and they're three years old, they probably should not be running around the deep end. You could save that kid before they fall into the water. And so the, God did save Mary, but he saved her before she fell into the sin of humanity. And he did that, they call it prevenient, his prevenient grace and knowledge, so that she could be a sacred vessel to host his son. Makes sense? I mean, think about it. If you, were to, if you were to create your own mother, wouldn't you make her sinless? Yeah. I mean, my mom's pretty great. And I think she's one of the holiest people I know, but she's not sinless. <laughs> okay. And so um, that's why I'm also dressed like this. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this on Sundays. Um, this is called a cassock. It's the traditional garment that the priests wear. It's a little bit more formal. Um, there's 33 buttons symbolizing the 33 years of Jesus. St. Paul says, put on Christ. So I put on Christ and Tonight we're not going to talk about the church structure per se. Um, I think you guys did that the second week, right? I was supposed to actually teach that night the church tour, but I had a funeral vigil. So Father Worth stepped um, into the breach and uh, did an excellent job of teaching um, for me, so I've heard. So, um, so tonight we're going to look at what the church is more than just a physical building. Because if this building didn't exist or this St. Peter's blew up, we would still have a St. Peter church, okay? Because the church is the people of God, as Jake was saying. Okay, so we there's basically four different analogies um, that are used, or I guess you say um, terms that are used um, throughout the scripture about what the church is. The church is the assembly of God. It's the body of Christ. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And... It's the Bride of Christ. Okay, this comes from the Second Vatican Council, uh, Lumen Gentium. So it's a community of faith, hope, and charity, the three theological virtues we all receive at baptism, um, a, visible, a visible organization, uh, a society structured with a hierarchy. So we're going to talk about the hierarchy tonight too. So to keep in mind, the church is both concrete, <coughs> 
tangible, that you can feel it, you can sense it. This is why we use incense and bells, and it's also spiritual. We'll talk a little bit more about this when we get into the sacraments. The sacraments are both material and spiritual. So, um, And the reason why the sacraments in the church are both material and spiritual is because of the incarnation, because of Christ. God, who was all spiritual before Christ came into the world, he comes in at Bethlehem, and the heavens and the earths collide in a way, in a beautiful way. And so God becomes one with us. And so God takes material element and elevates it to the spiritual realm. Um, of these four terms, which one resonates best with you? Temple of the Holy Spirit. Body of Christ. Yeah, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. They're all... Um, as, as a priest, um, because I'm celibate, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, uh, I see it as the Bride of Christ. You know? says one little first grader says, Father, do you have a girlfriend? And I said, no, I'm married to y'all. <laughs> She's trying to like wrap her mind around that. I'm like, yeah, I still can't figure it out either. So. <laughs> okay, so we say in, from the Nicene Creed, uh, the Nicene-Constantinople Creed, uh, the Council of Nicaea was in 325, Constantinople 381, that we say at the end of the creed, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So one, God is one in three persons, so the church is one. What was the prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he died and you find in the Gospel of John? Father, I pray that they all may be one just as you and I are one, so that the world may believe in us. The great scandal of Christianity is that we are not united as one. As I was working with Mother Teresa's sisters in Calcutta, I met a really nice Indian guy who was Sikh, and he wanted to become Christian, but he asked the questions like, well, which one do you want me to be? You know, you guys say one thing, the, these other denominations say the other, and he was just like really confused. And I said, you're right. There is a confusion. This is why Jesus prayed that all may be one. The church is holy. Okay, It's not holy because Father Worth and I are walking saints. Well, he might be a walking saint. It's not because we're saints. It's because Christ is holy. And he gives us the sacraments to make us holy. Um, the word Catholic is a Greek word, um, which was first used in about the year 102-107 by Ignatius of Antioch. The word Catholic means universal. Okay, The church is universal. Anyone ever been to a mass that's not in English? Yeah. Were you lost? There were key parts you can take out. Yeah. Like you know when to sit and stand. You know when to sit and stand. You know when to do this. You know what to... Yeah. <laughs> I have, uh, I, I've been to about 43 countries around the world, and every time I go to a Catholic church, whether, whatever language it is, I know exactly what's going on. Because I know when to sit, I know when to stand. I may not know what they're saying, but I know the responses. Anywhere you go in the world, there's a Catholic church. And so it's universal. It's not just this particular ethnic group or this particular state or political group, it's universal. That we have people of all different ages, backgrounds, um, and so forth. And the church is apostolic, which means it's built upon the apostles. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the apostles out, go and make disciples of all nations. So you have guys like Thomas, the apostle, and he goes to India. and Father Ramaniti, our assistant here, he's Indian. He can trace his lineage back to Thomas the Apostle. Okay? I mean, he's not, he's not a direct descendant of him, but I mean, his, 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 his spiritual lineage, I should say. Okay? Um, for us that are from uh, the Western Hemisphere, we trace our lineage back to two apostles, 
Can anyone guess who those two apostles are? These, yep, right, right behind you. Paul, he died in Rome, and our patron, St. Peter. So from those two apostles, I guess you could some, there could be some argument, James, um, because he went to Spain and brought Christianity to Spain. But um, yeah, so the four marks of the church um, tell us where we find the one true church started by Jesus. You know, there are some um, different churches that may, you know, I know some great, um, I, some of my best friends are Protestant. They're probably holier than I am. So there's some marks in the church that you can find outside of the church, but you don't find it completely. One holy Catholic and apostolic. Okay. So, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. The sacrament of baptism, for instance, is found outside of the church because it's necessary for salvation. The sacrament of marriage is found outside of the church because it's necessary for the good of society. Okay, so this is kind of a really small graph. I don't know if you can see this, but our Lord died here in 33 AD. And the church grows. All of these lines down here are different heresies. Remember, a heresy is a twisting of the truth. Some of them are trying to figure out what the church is, right? And some of them are just well-intentioned good people, but they take a truth and they twist it, maybe not for their own gain, but they're trying to wrestle with it, and then they break away from the church. And the largest heresy in the early church was Arianism. Arian, he believed that Jesus was not fully God. Okay, And so here they call the Council of Nicaea. And then Arius is still around. And so in 381 or 391, they call uh, Constantinople. And then you got Constantinople um, 2, 3, 4. Then you got all the different councils, Lateran councils, um, all the way up to 21 ecumenical councils. An ecumenical council is when all the bishops from around the world are invited, and they're like, hey, there is this dilemma or this issue. We need to solve it. We know that the promise of the Holy Spirit comes with us as we gather as one, and sometimes they take two, three, four, five years in order to determine what the Holy Spirit is speaking. Okay. So the next big break from the church comes down here in the year 1054, and this is where the Orthodox come from. Okay, and we won't get much into it. Does anyone know any Greek or Russian Orthodox? Yeah. Oh, yeah, probably. Um, the, the split between Orthodox and Catholicism wasn't merely theological, like all, all the other breaks were. It was more political. Because um, the Roman Empire split between East and West. And so then you have the Easterners doing one thing. The Eastern Orthodox Church has the same sacraments as we do. They have bishops. They, have, they are actually closest to us than any of these other Protestant churches down here. Even though they look a lot. If you go to Eastern Orthodox Church service, it's going to be about three hours. And there's going to be a lot of incense and chants, and you're like, I'm completely lost. You go to a Lutheran church service, it looks a little bit more like a Catholic church. So they look a lot closer to us um, as a, like a Lutheran church service does, but Orthodox are actually theologically um, and um, ecclesiology, the study of the church, are closer in relation to us. And then you get the big uh, ones down here in the Reformation. Um, John Knox, the Presbyterians, Martin Luther, King Henry VIII. Anyone here? Um, Anglican? You go to an Anglican church, it looks probably more similar to the Catholic church than, say, um, a Lutheran even. And that became more of a political thing. People woke up one day, they didn't know they weren't Catholic anymore. They had the same liturgy. They just didn't pray for the Pope in the liturgy. And so, it was a political divide. Um, Hilaire Belloc, the great historian, calls it the English accident. 
<clears throat> okay, why would you join the church if it's full of sinners? <laughs> We're all sinners. Except for Mary. <laughs> Who is the model of the church? She was the first disciple. So this is what we aspire to, but right. Okay, the church's holiness does not depend on us. It's on God. Okay. Um, if you join the perfect church, it would not be perfect anymore. As you said, we're all sinners. Okay. The church is perfect because of Christ, but imperfect because of its members. Perfection's only in heaven. And so when we talk about the church, um, we have the three different levels of the church. We have church triumphant. Who are those people in heaven? We call them saints. And then the people that are suffering, church in purgatory, the, ch the church suffering, and then we are what's called the church militant, meaning that we're still down here fighting, right? Um, not fighting amongst ourselves, but fighting for the good of Christ. And the church is made out of sinners because, well, let's be honest, that's all the material God could use, right? Because of original sin, Adam and Eve, all hell broke loose. There was corruption in the world. And so this is what God has to work with. But guess what? We're the clay, he's the potter. So, and then Matthew 13. Remember the analogy of the weed and the wheat? You know, do you want us to pull out the weeds? Nope. If you pull out the weeds, you might uproot the wheat along with them, Jesus says. So he allows them to grow together. Because who is the ultimate harvester at the end of time? God. Okay. All right. Why does the church have a hierarchy? Hey, Shepherd. What if I want to just read the Bible on my own and do good and find my own path to God and pray? Okay. Good. All right. I alluded to this in my opening prayer, right? Um, I love, I love, and remind you, I think um, it was Chad or Vern talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago about how in reading the scriptures, we have chapters, but in the original text, there wouldn't be chapters or verses. It would have just been read as one, one book. Okay, so in, G, in chapter nine, Jesus is looking at Jerusalem and he's weeping for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And then, Right away, in 10.1, he calls 12 apostles, and he gives them authority. He gives them authority to preach, heal, forgive sins. And the apostles were Jesus' closest collaborators and witnesses to whom he gave a mission to preach the kingdom of God and to heal, according to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Okay. And there were 12 men who would form the foundation of, the Christ, of Christ's church, and he called to be first priest at the Last Supper. And then he tells them, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. Okay. So it kind of goes like this. Um, the word bishop as an overseer. That's literally what the Greek word means, overseer. And we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So what do bishops oversee? They have to have a diocese. They have to ha if you're a shepherd, you gotta have a you gotta have a pasture, right? I this morning my it was my day off and so I went home. I grew up on a cattle feed lot and so I was home helping my brothers um we call it work cattle, so we have to give them the vaccinations and stuff, and I got the job of tagging. And so you got to be really quick, and I'm like, I told my brother, I'm like, you know, if I lose these two fingers, I can't be a priest anymore, so i got to be very, because these two fingers in the old right are what, you know, holds Jesus, and if you don't have these two fingers, you can't be a priest. So my brothers, they have, well, not sheep, but cattle, and so you can't, you can't be a shepherd 
without sheep. You can't be a cowboy without cattle. So uh, my brothers are cowboys. Um, and so they are the minister, the proper ministers of confirmation. Now, does that mean Bishop Colony is going to come here at Easter Vigil to confirm you? No, there's 134 parishes in the diocese. There's actually about 80 that um, where the priests are, and the rest of them are mission parishes. So the bishop can't be in 80 places at once. So he delegates that to the pastor. So Father Worth, and I delegate it to Father Worth, he's going to have the Easter Vigil this year. So he's going to be the one that's going to confirm you. Okay, and that's given to me so I can give to him. Um, a bishop is the only one that could actually make other priests. I couldn't, you know, lay my hands on Blake and make him a priest. Okay, I don't have that authority. Uh, the word priest comes from um, James chapter 5, one of my favorite verses. Is anyone among you sick? Call the priest of the church. The priest will pray over you, anoint you, and the prayer of faith will save you. And if you've committed any sins, your sins will be forgiven. It's, we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth. It's called the anointing of the sick. Uh, I can only do my ministry if the bishop permits me. I mean, I can get a letter tomorrow and say, uh, Father Clark, you can no longer hear confessions. Father Clark, you can no longer say a public mass. Father Clark. And so I, I can only do it with the permission of the bishop. Obviously, I'd have to do something wrong to get in trouble. But So I can only do it through his blessing. The priest acts in the person of Christ. He's also called an altus Christus, another Christ. And then we find deacons in the Acts of the Apostles. You remember the story, the, the Hellenists were complaining. The widows, they needed... They, they felt like they weren't getting properly served. The Hellenists are the Greek-speaking Jews that converted. And so they said, well, let us, let us appoint seven reputable men who could minister to them. So that way we can dedicate our time to prayer and the Mass. And so they get these seven deacons, and they send them out to serve these widows. Um, there's two different types of deacons in the church. Uh, a transitional deacon is one who is on this way to become a priest. And usually it's a six months to a year, year and a half. You're a transitional deacon until you're ordained a priest. A permanent deacon um, is a married man who feels called to be a deacon, and then the bishop accepts him and then ordains him. So these are three different holy orders in the church. Deacon, priest, bishop. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we might talk a little bit more about it when we get to holy orders. Um, but um, priest, I have to go through, well, right now they have a new thing called the propedeutic year. It's a fancy word. It's like a spirituality year. You guys are helping out with that, right? And so you, you're kind of, you become secluded from the world for about a year. No internet, no phones, and it's all about prayer and the interior formation. And then th after that, then you have four years of philosophy, um, study and truth and the ancient writers, and then you have four years of theology. And so every priest who's ordained gets what's called the Masters of Divinity, and then if you have good enough grades and you can work on the side, you can pick up a second Masters. So Father Worth's got a second Masters in morality, and I have second Masters in dogmatic theology. And so, um, so it's about uh, eight to nine years to become a priest. Deacons, every program is different. It's about a three-year program, and they meet once a month for uh, a, a weekend in training. And then a bishop, a bishop, you don't actually, you don't actually go to further training for it. But most bishops have doctorates um, in something, but um, but there there also is extra. They have to go to like bishop school. Learn how to like carry the big stick. <laughs> Wear the hat. Wear the hat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of bishops, are they really the successors of the apostles? Or are they just something that we kind of created? So 
The 11 apostles chose Matthias to replace Judas. We see this right away. And I mean, Matthias was probably one of the 70 disciples, right? I mean, he had to be, he had to be part of Jesus' ministry, but he wasn't actually chosen to be one of the 12. And so Jesus didn't choose him to be a 12, but they replaced Judas. Okay, so they collectively ordained him. Okay. You want to tell me what 2 Timothy 2 2 is? This will be an easy one to remember. What you've seen and heard from me, and trust to faithful men who can teach others as well. You can repeat that, right? Or you can just remember this. 2 Timothy 2 2 is teach teachers how to teach. Okay. It's not merely enough to open up the Bible and just learn the faith. It's not merely enough for me to get up here and teach the faith to you. I have to teach others how to teach the faith. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, teach teachers how to teach. Okay, we call it apostolic succession. We see right away Jesus has got John. John's got Polycarp. Polycarp's got Ignatius of Antioch. You know, so we see this, this progression of or succession of apostles. St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, you are fellow citizens with the holy ones and the members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles. St. Ignatius of Antioch <clears throat> in the year 107 said, see that you follow the bishop. Do nothing in the church without the bishop. Wherever the bishop is, there is the church. Okay. It's interesting, when he says this in context, he's talking about the sacrament of marriage. Um, do not allow people to get married without the bishop's permission. So for those that are Catholic and get married to a non-Catholic, there's a form you have to fill out in the back, and you have to go get permission from the bishop. You guys had that, right? Yeah. But if you're two Catholics that get married in the church, the bishop delegates the priest. We don't actually have to get the bishop's permission and so forth. So this goes all the way back to the year 107. You know, 1,400 years before Martin Luther. I've, I've never seen it, no. It's, it's part of it. what it is, is there's an oath that yet the Catholic party has to take on the back to say that they will do what they can to maintain their faith and that they will raise their kids Catholic. And so, so our current bishop, Bishop Conley, um, here, he was born in 1955. He also converted. He, he did not grow up Catholic. Uh, he converted when he was almost 21. He was ordained a priest in 30. He was named an auxiliary bishop. Auxiliary just means a helper, um, which is funny about this, though, um, because he, because you're a bishop, you have to have a territory that you're a bishop over. So he was the titular, it's called titular bishop of Sissa. And Sissa is a region outside of Croatia, which is underneath the water. Okay, because it's no longer a diocese anymore, but it was at one time. So he's technically a bishop of this place that I said, all, all, he said, I wanted to go scuba diving to see my people. <laughs> so it, it's just kind of out of formality. But when you, then he was be, uh, named apostolic administrator. This is kind of like you oversee the diocese, but you don't have authority to make any changes. You're just kind of like a placeholder. Uh, he was in Denver, and then he was named Bishop of Lincoln on September 14th, and he was been our bishop since 2012. <coughs> yeah, so... It's kind of like, well, it's not like a pastor, it's a little different. When you're a bishop, you, theologically speaking, you should be the bishop until you die. But what usually happens is you're a bishop of a smaller diocese, like, say, Lincoln, and then like, oh, we need a bishop in St. Louis. So someone who has a little bit more experience of governing, and then they move them. So um, Bishop Aquila um, was the bishop up in Fargo when I was up there. Knew him very well, and then he got moved to Denver. So, um, Archbishop Chaput was in three different places. Um, 
But um, this also kind of shows um, kind of interesting facts here about um, over here who the bishop was ordained by, but then who made him a bishop. In order to, to consecrate a bishop, you need three other bishops. Okay, and these are the guys that consecrated him right here. And then this over here is his apostolic lineage. So the primary consecrator was Archbishop Chaput in Denver. And who ordained Archbishop Chaput? This guy, Logie, all the way down, all the way down. And it goes until the record books, all the way down to 1566. But Bishop Bishop Conley traces his lineage back to St. Peter. Um, The bishops in the Western Hemisphere either go to Peter or Paul. When you came to St. Peter's, you were known as like a heal, not a healing priest, but like a hick priest. <laughs> That's why I'm no. <laughs> no, but like you just when you had all those issues, and so you were known that you were going to come in and like help us heal. I guess. Yeah. Is what people Yeah. Uh, so that was Father Doty. Father Doty Father was, Doty was he, he is a healing priest. Um, I I don't think I have that. So every every person, including yourselves, who are baptized has have charisms. Charisms are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so um, certain bishops are better with religious education. Some are better with evangelization. Some are better administrators. Um, some are just good people, you know. Um, and so, yeah, like Bishop Bruskowitz and Bishop Conley are completely different people, but they've been both great bishops because they're very, very holy, faithful men. Bishop Bruskowitz is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. You know, as someone said, Bishop Bruskowitz knows things, Bishop Conley knows people. Bishop Conley is one of the most connected persons I know. He has friends all over the world, and he's just a very personal person, personal bishop. Okay, so kind of looks like this. We have Jesus who weeps for Jerusalem. He chooses these 12, 12 renegades. You know, they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were zealot politicians. And then we have the... Well, these are actually the cardinals. You guys have heard of cardinals. Cardinal is not a um, an order in the church. You only have deacons, priests, and bishops. But from the bishops, some of them get named as cardinals, which means they are the advisors to the pope. And then they elect and choose the next pope in a thing called the conclave. And then from the bishops, you have the priests. Okay, let's turn up, let's open, you guys have your Bible with you? Let's, yeah, anyone who has, uh, let's open up our Bible to Matthew 16. Okay, page 1035. Just kidding. Well, it might be, if you guys, if you have the, is it pretty close? Oh, yeah, you got the new, this is the new American, too. All right, could I get a, a volunteer to read Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20? I can. Okay. Uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom, keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Great. Thank you, Lisa. Um, what, what strikes you about this? Yeah. Why would that be striking? 
Yeah. He's like, okay, I still got a few other things I need to do before they kill me, so <laughs> don't tell them yet. Or is it kind of like, okay, I got a secret to tell you. Don't tell anyone, and then it gets told. You know, the gospel secret. Yeah. Okay, so you ever you ever gone to uh, uh, school, and then the teacher says, I, get, I got a pop question for you. You're like, oh boy, I hope I was paying attention. This is what Jesus tells the apostles. Okay, who do people say that I am? Oh, some say you're John the Baptist, or Elijah, or one of the prophets. Okay, that's good. But I'm not really concerned what other people think of me. It's not like he's looking at the latest Gallup poll. He's like, I want to know who do you say that I am? And who gets it right? Peter. Peter. Yeah, so his name's Simon. Yeah, Simon. Simon, son of John, Bar-Jonah. Right? And who revealed it to him? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. For flesh and blood has not revealed it. So, okay, Peter, you get the answer right. So, or Simon, you get the question right. So I'm going to call you what? Peter. And what's Peter mean? The rock. Okay. Yeah, not, not Dwayne Johnson or, or Alcatraz, right? If you want, we won't have time to go into this. If you want a really good article to read about this, Chad wrote one. Uh, for last week's, right, uh, Southern Nebraska Register, the Dawson paper. Um, maybe uh, Blake can send it out to the whole group. And it kind of goes and explains it a little bit more of how Protestants would actually interpret this. Um, I don't know, unless you want to just give us a quick summary. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's really great. So he says, you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, Where's where's this happening at? What region? Where are we at? Okay, so Caesarea Philippi was a big. There was a big pagan temple there, and they believed the pagans believed that that was the gates of hell. So they would sacrifice humans, you know, and they would throw them off this rock down into this pit. So just like, okay, we're gonna go to this region, and it's not relatively close to the Sea of Galilee. They probably had a hike a couple of days to get up there. Right, and so they're up there, and they're like, "What are we doing here, Jesus?" Okay, I got to ask you this question, <laughs> right? And so he says, "And the gates of hell will not prevail." And she's like, "Point like this is where they believe the gates of hell are." And Peter, you're rock, and they're looking at this big old rock on the side of this mountain that was a pagan temple. So Jesus uses imagery pretty well. Okay, what's he give them? Okay, so. Here's keys to the kingdom of St. Peter. Right? If, I, if I gave this to you and said, okay, that's, that's a master key. You want to hold on to that one. That's my office key. Oh, there's the rectory key. And the fob, well, that'll get you in a lot of things too. Here you go, Tyler. Here's the keys. And I said, I'm going on vacation for a week, two weeks. I'm going, I'll let you have it for a month. Okay? Is Tyler the pastor of St. Peter? No. But do I trust him? Say, hey, I'm going to be gone. Here you go. Right? But I'm coming back. What's Jesus give Peter? The keys. Yeah. Keys are signs of authority. We hear in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 22, about the keys. Okay? In the time of King David... When he left, he put someone in charge, and he was called the Albait. Okay, I'm going to be gone, but so whatever you do while I'm out fighting a battle, I'll come back and I will honor whatever you did, whatever governance you made in the city of Jerusalem. Is Jesus coming back? Yep. yep. Is the church Peter's? No. Is the church the Pope's? No. It's God's, and he's coming back, but right now he's entrusted us with the keys. Right? It's like Mother Teresa once said, God, I don't doubt you're calling me to this. I just wish you didn't trust me that much. Right? <laughs> he trusts us a lot. 
Okay, so, and here's the interesting thing. Who is the apostle that denied him three times? Peter. And our Lord told Peter that he would. Right? Luke chapter 22. Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. You know, you sift wheat. He wants to shake you all up. You're going to fall out. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you, Peter. So that I prayed for you, Peter, for when you get back up, you're going to fall, but when you get back up, strengthen your brethren. And that's the primary role of the Pope, is to strengthen all the bishops in the world. So we know that Peter was the first leader of the church. He was always mentioned first and the most. He's always at the most important events with Christ. Who were the other two closest apostles to Peter? James, yeah. Okay. He speaks for the apostles in the Acts of the Apostle. He's the one that's called the rock. He's given the keys. He has the power to bind and loose. He takes charge of the events of the early church. And even the Council of Chalcedon in 451, Pope Leo was not there. He sends his delegate, so he writes, called the tome. He writes a tome, and they're trying to debate whether or not Jesus has, um, is that, was it the monothelitism or monophysites? The physites, whether he has two natures, God or man. And so they're like, oh, Peter's spoken. So they referred to the Pope as Peter. Okay, so right now we have Pope Francis. Peter, the Bishop of Rome, who dies in the year about 67 AD. And then we have Linus, Cletus, Clement. Have you heard those before? Yeah, at the Liturgy of the Eucharist, right? Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian. Yeah. Now, some of those in that line weren't popes. They were actually, some of them were martyrs. But I think the first, what, 20-some popes were martyrs? So, and they all were saints. And so the first guy not to be martyred, I don't think he became a saint. <laughs> okay, so then you have the other 11. And they, guess what? They also chose... Disciples and ordained them. We have Paul and Barnabas in the Acts of the Apostles. And so they represent all the other bishops throughout the world for all time. Okay. Um, why is the Pope infallible? If I say the Pope's infallible, does that mean if he says Nebraska volleyball is going to win the national championship? Is that an infallible statement? <laughs> Now, we hope it is, but no. What if the Pope said something like, um, if, if the Pope had said, you know, tomorrow we are going to um, ordain women. Is that an infallible statement? It's a kind of a matter of faith. So, criterias. It doesn't mean that the Pope is sinless. When you, this... Definition infallibility came under Leo the Thirteenth, eighteen seventy-eight. You have to fact check me on that. In a while. but Leo the Thirteenth. Um, it does not mean that he says everything that he says is correct. Infallibility means when the Pope speaks on matters of faith and morals for the whole church, he cannot err. And this goes to the authority given to. Um, Peter. Um, Peter's given the power to bind and loose. So, papal infallibility has not really been used that much in the church. Um, you know, the Feast of the Assumption we celebrate on August 15th. Mary assumed body and soul into heaven. That was not really declared until 1954 by Pope. Pius XI, right? And um, so, does that mean the Spirit told him to bring that as truth? Well, so that's a good question. So, the Church had always 
it's interesting because the church had always you go back to the ancient there was there was a uh, a feast of the assumption that the Spaniards did. Okay, so some of these traditions people were already doing, and some of the early church fathers wrote about it. But why did he do it in 1954? Because the church kind of believed it, so it wasn't like earth shattering. Like okay, they believed that Mary assumed body and soul into heaven. But why did he do it in 1954? What happened about 10 years before that? World War II. The destruction of human bodies. And, you know, killing, of the, I mean, worldwide. Uh, so the Pope's like, okay, we want to we show the sanctity of human life and how we're going to do that. We're going to look to Mary because she's the model of what it means to be a disciple. And we are going to define this because the world has forgotten what the human person is and body is. So, all right, moving on to the next topic. Uh, why do Catholics have priests if Jesus is the one mediator? I mean, why can't you just go straight straight to God? I think you can. You, th- you can, yeah. So, do I, as a priest, stand in your relationship between God? Hopefully I do, yeah. Right? <laughs> When St. Paul says there's one mediator between God and man, he says, and that is who? Jesus Christ, the man. This is What makes him the mediator is his humanity. Because can you see pure spirit? No, we need humanity in order to see goodness. Um, and so, um, so what makes him the mediator is his, is his humanity, the and the priest acts in the person of Christ. So every priest participates in the priesthood of Christ. And it's almost like, you know, if you, you participate in the name of your family, it doesn't take away your family name. The one priesthood of Christ is made present through the ministerial priesthood without diminishing the uniqueness of Christ's priesthood. There is only one true priest, and that's Jesus and all of us others participate in it. That's why at the altar I say, this is my body. I don't say, this is Father Clark's body. I don't say, you know, Father Clark absolves you. I say, I absolve you from your sins. This is my body. I anoint you. I'm speaking in the person of Christ. Um, And Jesus commands the apostles to go out into the world and act on his behalf, the Great Commission. As he says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Any questions on mediator? Um, In some ways, we could all be mediators or intercessors for each other. You know, Uh, we see this over and over in the Old Testament too. God appoints different leaders who have to go up and offer up prayers on behalf of his people. Um, And in the New Testament, he establishes his church. And so that the apostles and then whoever they ordain are there to offer up prayers on behalf of, of others. So in, in some ways, the, in the old liturgy, it's the priest who's standing with his back to the people because he's offering up them to God this way. as opposed. So the, in the, the old mass, in the old Latin mass, it, was, it was symbolized more of the sacrifice being offered up to the people and the new way when we look at people, um, it symbolizes more kind of like the, uh, the, the communal aspect of the Last Supper. I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, there's a dialogue and stuff. And so um, the, old, the old Mass shows a little bit more mediation um, in that way. Okay, why do Catholics call priest father when Jesus says there's only one Father in heaven? Do you guys, yeah, thank you, Florence. Do you guys call your biological dad or father? Yeah, father. Who calls father? You get father? Okay. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Chad talked on this too, like when we talk about the reading of the senses of scripture, right? Is Jesus speaking literally here? Call no man father? Because I know you couldn't call your dad father if you wanted to. He also says call no one rabbi. So you couldn't say, teacher, teacher, I got a question. No, you can't call me teacher. Jesus says not to, right? You know, so he's not speaking literally, okay? 
Um, and we know that too because uh, St. Peter says the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham. St. Peter calls Abraham father. And St. Paul, the statue's right over there, he says, I became your father in Christ. Okay. So the priest's role as father does not detract from God's fatherhood. Instead, it reveals God's fatherly care for us in a very concrete way. Remember we said the church is both spiritual and concrete or material. But priests are also real people, right? A real boy, you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean so when, when I'm acting like just around here or whatever, I'm, I'm a, real, a real man, you know? I do things that other men do. Um, but when I'm acting in the role at mass or in the confessional or at baptism. It's, it's like, you know, between Superman and Clark Kent, right? Something's, something's different happening in me. And I, and I recognize it too. It's not me. You know, there's so, there's such a profound, as John Paul II called it, it's a gift and a mystery. We'll talk a little bit more about the holy orders So I'll just end right there. Um, I know we're 8.15, right? Okay, let me give you a blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. And may all His grace come down upon you to make you strong members of His church and that church be brought to completion in the mystical union of the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, thanks for all coming. Next week is what, Blake? Oh, in the mystical union of the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, thanks for all coming. Next week is what, Blake? Oh. Thank you for listening to this great content from St. Peter Catholic Church. For more content, for other talks, for more information, please visit St. Peter Catholic Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, on Apple iTunes or on Podbean, and our parish website, stpeterlincoln.com. God bless you.